Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inoculate your brain with weird and wonderful science. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this special vaccination edition, from 2009, Dr Victoria Bond explains how vaccinations work and how they're made to Mark West and I. But first, the latest news of vaccinations against ageing and asthma. A vaccine against ageing? Researchers at the Open University of Catalonia in Spain and the University of Leicester in the UK have developed antibodies that clear out senescent cells. Damaged cells that stay alive but no longer function and cause harmful inflammation. Inflammation plays a large part in most of the diseases of ageing. Cellular senescence halts the division of damaged cells so that they can be removed by our immune system. This mechanism helps slow down the progress of cancer, for example, as well as helping tissues develop into the right shape when embryos are growing. As we get older, our immune system gets worse at removing these senescent cells from our bodies. The senescent cells start accumulating and reduce the ability of organs and tissues to work normally. The ageing immune system tries a last-ditch attempt to remove them with inflammation, our defence against bacteria but they don't move and the inflammation contributes to disease. In animals, a new type of drug called senolytics can remove the senescent cells, reverse inflammatory disease, and even reverse a lot of the symptoms of age-related decline. Unfortunately, current senolytic drugs have bad side effects, so they could only work if they were targeted exclusively at senescent cells. The researchers looked at the surface of senescent cells for proteins that are present there and not on normal cells, the surfaceome. They developed a monoclonal antibody that attaches to these surface proteins on senescent cells and delivers a drug to kill them, minimising side effects to the rest of your body. The work was inspired by the same technology being used to target and deliver drugs to cancer cells. Perhaps the next step Instead of just injecting people with antibodies to clear out the senescent cells to maintain better health as we age, we could encode the antibodies in mRNA, memory RNA, and use the same technology as the new COVID-19 vaccines to teach our immune system to always clear senescent cells and protect us against inflammatory diseases of old age. The paper was titled, Targeted Clearance of Senescent Cells Using an Antibody Drug Conjugate, against a specific membrane marker, and was published in the journal Nature Scientific Reports. An asthma vaccine in mice. Researchers from the French government's INSERM, the Pasteur Institute, and the company Neovax have developed a vaccine that protects against allergic asthma attacks by attacking our response to dust allergies. 
The new vaccine combines inflammation proteins the body produces in response to dust allergy with a harmless version of the diphtheria virus that can't replicate. The strong immune reaction our bodies have to the diphtheria virus also trigger a strong response to the proteins produced by dust allergies. Asthma affects over 300 million people around the world. Asthma attacks make it hard to breathe, they can be distressing and sometimes fatal if they're not treated. Most asthma attacks are caused by allergic reactions, with dust being the commonest trigger. When people are exposed to things they're allergic to, like dust, they produce antibodies called immunoglobulin E and type 2 cytokines such as interleukin-4 and interleukin-13 in their lungs and throat. This causes the lungs and throat to become hyper-responsive, producing too much mucus and too many eosinophils a type of white blood cell. The current treatment is inhaled steroids, but when this isn't enough, people have to be given expensive injections of monoclonal antibodies, possibly for the rest of their life. The preclinical results in mice show that this vaccine caused the animals to continue making antibodies specifically directed against interleukin-4 and interleukin-13. Six weeks after the injection, 90% of the mice were still producing high amounts of antibodies. After a year, 60% of the mice were still producing high levels of antibodies, so perhaps they needed a booster shot. The vaccine was shown to both treat allergic asthma attacks caused by dust mites and prevent attacks in mice. The team are now preparing for clinical trials in humans. The paper was titled Dual Vaccination Against Interleukin-4 and Interleukin-13 Protects Against Chronic Allergic Asthma in Mice and was published in the journal Nature Communications. In 2009, Diffusion team member Dr Victoria Bond explained vaccines to Mark West and me. Victoria. Can you tell us about vaccines and how they work? Well, I think there's a lot of controversy, especially these days, surrounding vaccines. And a lot of that might have to do with a basic misunderstanding of how vaccines work. So let's start with vaccines. What do they do exactly? Vaccines aren't these nano-engineered robots that attack viruses or bacteria for you. What vaccines are really designed to do is prime your own immune system so that when you are exposed to the actual bug, you can fight it off yourself. Right. The thing about immune systems is they need a little bit of practice. It's, it's like playing soccer. You know, you can't really kick that goal at the beginning. So it's a little bit like uh, some fatherly advice when you come back with a scab knee after playing sport. You go, ah, no, nah, you'll be right. Toughen him up. That's what vaccines do. And they're perhaps exactly. a little bit like, you know, those wanted signs. This is the guy you're looking for right here. Exactly. So when the immune system is first exposed to a new bug, say the swine flu, it has no idea what it's dealing with. It's, it's saying, what is this guy? How do I apprehend him? It doesn't have any of the tools. And it takes about six weeks for the immune system to really ramp up. And in those six weeks, you can actually have a lot of damage to your um, body, which is why diseases are, are so damaging at the beginning and why if you get through that initial window, you can often kick off the bug. So what vaccines do is they kind of cheat. They give you a shortcut 
And um, they expose you to parts of the bug without actually exposing you to the danger so that your immune system can recognize this thing as foreign. And the next time you're exposed to it, it can ramp up that response. And not in six weeks, but say in a week. So if we were to imagine this molecularly or imagine this in 3D, you've got a bug that has a certain chemical shape and exactly. part of it is doing bad stuff to you exactly. and another part of it is maybe binding to a receptor or something. Yeah. So we come up with some drug that binds but doesn't have the bad bit that hurts you. Exactly. So you get used to the, the binding. Well, that's a perfect segue, actually. I was going to talk about different types of vaccines and how they differ. Wow, anyone would have thought we would have, we'd have rehearsed this. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> it's so convenient. Um, so there are lots of different types of vaccines, and they have a different amount of effectiveness. You might have realized that for some vaccines like polio, you can get vaccinated once or twice and it lasts a lifetime. And then for other vaccines, you need boosters all the time. And that has to do with the innate nature of a vaccine. So you can take a vaccine by taking the bug that you mentioned with all the bad bits and all the foreign bits that the body usually recognizes. And um, you zap it. You, you kill that bug and then you introduce it. And that usually, those are the vaccines that work really well. They're called killed vaccines. And they give you lifetime immunity, but oftentimes you feel quite crook when you're given the shot. So kind of as a solution to that, they've created another vaccine that's called attenuated. So they take the bad bits of the bug out and they just introduce the foreign bit and your immune system develops a response. These don't always work as well because there aren't as many foreign antigens, which is the, the bits that your immune system recognizes. So it, it, it usually takes a few more tries before your immune system has a, an adequate response to those. And they also have a whole bunch of new and exciting vaccines. So they have vaccines called conjugated vaccines, right. which are when you take a bit of a bug that the immune system would normally recognize as foreign, and then they merge it with a, a foreign bit and that kind of boosts your immune system to recognize the whole thing as foreign. So the next time that it's exposed, it can actually attack bugs that it wouldn't attack Normally. ordinarily. So vaccines are really wonderful because it's like it's like giving you flashcards before a test. It, it's not something completely different. It's not like taking a, a drug to cure a disease. You're actually using your own tools, but more efficiently. And I think that's something that a lot of people might not understand about vaccines. Of course, nothing is safe, and if you've got a physiological response, you can have a bad physiological response. And that has to do with the fact that our immune systems are incredibly variable, and they need to be. If you think about how many different bugs are out there and how, many, how we manage to actually mount an immune response against them, that's an amazing amount of variation that you need just encoded in your genes to create different receptor types that can recognize all of these things. It's phenomenal, really, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's the most variable chromosome in the human body, chromosome 6, which is the one that has the gene encoding. And is this, do, uh, do different people have a different, are, they, are those chromosomes different? Is that why, or is that more of an exposure thing? Because you hear of, you know, when, when the Europeans came to Australia, the indigenous population got sick from smallpox and things like that. I it, think there's there's a little bit of evolution that's mixed up in it. And it's it's more complicated than just one gene. So it's a very long gene. <laughs> and the way that it creates the receptors is it, it's this technique called alternative splicing. So basically, you have one gene, and instead of reading it from the beginning to the end, you pick and choose. And that the pick and choose is completely random. And depending on which bits you pick, you have a different receptor shape. 
And I think what happened, say, in Europeans that were exposed to a bunch of different organisms, say, from the Middle East or from Africa or from Asia, the people who didn't have the, the right genes or the good bits to the genes died off. And right. so <laughs> their children had the, the variants that were more effective at, you know, kicking off the plague, for example. Mm-hmm. And there's a little bit of crosstalk, I think, between diseases. So they've actually found that people whose ancestors survived the plague have a better resistance to contracting HIV. That's really interesting. I hadn't heard that. Yeah. And is that related to the... His, how do you pronounce this? Is it the immuno... I can't even think mm-hmm. how to say The histocompatibility... Index. Ah, yeah, it's yes. the same. So it's the same. It's it's th- that's the gene. It's called because MHC, this, ah, major histocompatibility complex. Because they're saying that that's one of the things that we look for in a mate is someone who has a different one to us, so that our children will be immune to more things. There's yeah, there's a lot of theories I've going heard on about that, yes, yeah, that through the sense of smell, you you're able to recognize someone who's a, a variant, not necessarily com- completely different, but different enough to confer. A wider range, because yep. obviously, if your children have a wider range of gene segments to choose from, they'll they'll have a much better immune system. Yes. And uh, they're also finding all of the autoimmune diseases are, of course, linked to this MH- MHC gene. So, unfortunately, some immune systems are almost too good, quote unquote, and they start attacking, or or they don't have enough control. And there's um oftentimes, I mean, some bugs like Streptococcus type B will cross react with other bits in your body. So if you if you get this bug and mount an immune response to it, you clear the bug, but then you start attacking yourself. Right. Is it the basis of some of the inflammatory diseases? They think it's the basis of most autoimmune diseases, but we just haven't found the antigen for a lot of them. The vaccinators want to ask the nation. Everyone knows about vaccinations. There are diseases out there that threaten us. Listening to Diffusion Science Radio. Science at diffusionradio.com. Brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. So, Victoria, how do they make these vaccines? Well, Ian, I'm glad you asked. Vaccines which we happen to take for granted. You know, we, we have them at birth, we have them at two months, at four months, at six months, we have them throughout our lifetime. They're actually impossibly complex and very, very intricate. I mean, just taking your normal flu vac, that takes a year to develop. It takes a year every year, which is just stunning. But it also has to do with the fact that the virus is so variable. Does that mean by the time you actually have the jab that it might not work? Yeah, well, especially with the flu vaccine, because the the bug has a tendency to mutate so fast, it's not actually that effective. I mean, it's very effective, but there are always different strains that are going around in the community, and you could be that unlucky person that gets the wrong strain. strain. Yes. So that's why people who have the flu vac this year, for example, they're not immune to the swine flu. 
because the swine flu is so completely different. It's a different. Yeah. yeah. It causes the same constellation of symptoms, but the, the foreign bits, the antigens, your immune system has never seen anything like it. It's not that the flu, swine flu in itself is worse. It's just that it's easier to catch. Right. So all of the deaths that we're seeing are also deaths that happen with the normal flu. I mean, 24,000 people in the U.S. die every year from the normal flu. Well, I'm sure we could debate uh, the dangers of swine flu and bird flu for a while, but that's not what we're here to do. <laughs> so keep telling us about how they're made. So you have this really intricate process, and what it involves is eggs, actually. So they take fertilized eggs, and can you imagine these huge factories full of eggs, and they inject them... Chicken eggs. Chicken eggs, yeah. And they inject them with this antigen, and they let it proliferate in this really rich kind of environment. And then... Everything has to be absolutely aseptic. Can you imagine if bacteria were introduced in vaccines? That would just be horrendous. So it's, it's very carefully controlled. And I think it's, it's a process that few people really appreciate in terms of how complex and intricate and perfectly it's done. And they take these eggs and they just create the vaccines that we use nowadays. But there's a new really exciting vaccine that was developed from tobacco plants. And what they did was they introduced an antigen that's usually found in non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a cancer type, and they let these tobacco plants grow. And they, they injected it in a part of the plant that, that isn't at all related to the pollen. So there's no risk of <laughs> spreading and you know harvesting different tobacco plants. And they ground up the plant, and they actually created an oral vaccine that had very, very high rate of antigen that the body can recognize and mount an immune response. And that's just, I think it's wonderful because it's something that developing countries could use. They could actually grow their own vaccines because right now I'm sure you're aware there's a bit of a monopoly over vaccines. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is part of the economics of vaccines that I'm going to get into later. But they're still going through trials for the tobacco plant. So let's cross our fingers. I'd heard there were some food-based ones, like banana-based vaccines and things like that, that they were growing as well. Yeah, I think, I think it's the idea to introduce vaccines in the food system. I think this new vaccine development would be wonderful for empowering developing countries because they have, they're powerless right now. Why do you think a malaria ma- vaccine doesn't exist yet? I mean, that's shameful. It's one of the diseases that is the most widespread in the world and that causes one of the greatest burdens of disease. If malaria were still in the United States like it was, you know, 200, 100 years ago, you can bet that there would be a vaccine developed. But there's no money in selling vaccine to poor countries. That's really horrible, isn't it? If you think that through, well, you don't have to think about it, really. It's horrible. Yeah. So what we really need is a way to do it cheaply and faster than in eggs. And tobacco might be one of the ways. Yeah, hopefully. Hope for the future. Um, that's not the only controversy surrounding vaccines, of no. course. To <laughs> to harp on a, a much-spoken topic, there's the controversy of autism with the MMR vaccine, and I, I think I think a recent development of that original paper is that it was wrong. Right. <laughs> I believe it's been completely disproved. Yeah, but I think the damage is done. Well, think, it sticks. It's sort of thing that sticks in your mind, isn't it? Mm. Well, Unfortunately. It's, a, it's a terrible thing because if you've got an autistic child and you don't know why your child's suffering, you're looking for some cause. And if there's symptoms just after the first vaccination, then that's something easy to blame. Mm. And science is uncertain. They can't say absolutely yes, absolutely no on all sorts of things. So it's an easy thing to go for. That's a, that's a common problem, I feel, with science is that they're never able to completely dis- disprove something. So 
And they're never able to completely prove something either. So it's like evolution. Evolution is just a theory. Evolution well, has never been proven to be true, but there's a stunning array of evidence. I think that's a whole other argument for when we have more studio time. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's true. That's that's a can of worms I shouldn't be opening. But um, special show coming up. Special show. Diffusion controversy. Yeah, write into us if you don't believe in evolution. We'd like to hear from you. Right to Victoria, especially. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> so, so the other thing with vaccines is their safety, because so, as you say, some children have a very strong immune reaction. Either they're allergic to the egg exactly, or they, their immune system just goes overboard with the challenge from the vaccine and some children even die. They either get injured it's one in or, a million. or they die. It's one of the risks. And it's one of the risks to the, that I was never told about and that doctors should tell their patients. Mm. I mean, doctors have a duty to tell patients for about common side effects, even if they're low, and about very uncommon side effects if they're drastic. And I'd say... Death is pretty drastic. Death is pretty drastic. Or, or brain damage. I mean, or I've heard of those damage, cases yeah. as well. The problem is, though, that humans are very bad at calculating risk. So if you tell us there's a risk of you dying if you have the vaccine and there's a tiny bit of risk, if you don't, that you might catch it, then it's hard to calculate those two risks. Yeah. That's true. And another problem with this rising rate of non-vaccinated people is the concept of herd immunity which I don't know that a lot of people have heard about. But the thing with herd immunity is vaccines aren't actually that effective. They're only, you know, 80 to 90% effective. And the way that they really work is by keeping the disease out of the population pool. And if you've got a population pool of non-vaccinated people that are kind of acting as reservoirs for the disease, you get outbreaks periodically. So that's why pertussis, for example, still exists today. We have a very, a very effective vaccine against pertussis, and yet there are outbreaks periodically causing terrible lung damage to lots of children. It's, it's a terrible disease. I don't know if you've ever heard someone coughing from pertussis. It's this not is, a sound. This is commonly known as whooping cough. Yeah, it's it's not a sound you're about to forget. I don't think, and that wouldn't happen if there was 100% vaccination. That's true. Because the disease wouldn't survive. It's really interesting mathematically, actually, to look at look at how these things spread. It's the, the rate of infection is proportion to the to the population, and so is the rate of non-infection. I'm not sure what the technical term is, but when people either become immune or they die, I guess they're mm. no longer infected. Mm. It's really interesting to look at that mathematically. And one of the outcomes of this, one of the steady states you get, is it, it implies this herd immunity. So you get too many people that are infected. That means because the rate of infection is 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 proportional to the amount of people that are infected that increases and then that that's how it can explode mm. so you get a tipping point there which is where the herd immunity comes in you know that's what happened with polio they had nearly eradicated polio and then there was one outbreak and it's back and now it's back yeah because you know there there are people who had previously been vaccinated hadn't kept their boosters up because they didn't expect to need them because polio was supposed to be eradicated and it's just a nightmare so hopefully that was a little bit of an explanation about vaccines and can help explain it to people who can who can understand and who can spread the knowledge. Spread make the knowledge as if it were a disease. Exactly. <laughs> or <laughs> inoculate everyone with this or knowledge about yes. vaccines, hopefully. We'll put it that way, yes. <laughs> that was Dr. Victoria Bond and Mark West talking about how vaccinations work and how they're made. Back in 2009, before we'd heard of modular mRNA-based vaccines. The boys and girls who received at least one injection 
of vaccine had about four times as much protection as those without it. We can all be proud of the soft vaccine brought about by American scientists and American giving. We can all share in the hope that this victory will lead to many more in the years ahead. For maximum protection from paralytic polio, three inoculations. The second given not less than two weeks after the first, the third not less than seven months later. Your child or any member of your family eligible for polio vaccine in your community should be vaccinated now. Vaccination now will save lives from death or paralysis this year. Make use of increasing supplies of vaccine. Help your child grow up strong and straight, free from crippling polio. Youngsters like David Eisenhower, like polio pioneer Randy Kerr, are part of a bright new future. A future which will see the unconditional surrender of infantile paralysis. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Are you a scientist, artist, biohacker or maker who'd like to be interviewed about your work? Would your company like to sponsor Diffusion? Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please subscribe to the Diffusion Science Radio channel on youtube.com c slash diffusionradio and rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolf. The news music was Rhinos Theme by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the community radio network, including Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM in New South Wales, 8CCC in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2MVR in Nambucca Valley, 3MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio 7LTN in Launceston, Tasmania, and 2XXFM in Canberra. Diffusion is narrowcast on Indigo FM 88 in northeast Victoria. Diffusion is syndicated globally on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than a thousand previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com, where the shows are labeled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Make a donation through paypal.me slash ianwolf or join my patrons at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolf. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography. Collecting. Why study science? 
study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.